0: Welcome, welcome, welcome once again, Shalom, to the Science of the Covenant podcast. I want to say Shalom, Shabbat Shalom to all our listeners. And we thank you for tuning in with us today, as usual, at 3 p.m. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington. And again, we are the Science of the Covenant podcast. If you have any questions or comments while the podcast is live or even afterwards because you may watch it after we're live uh feel free to email us at science of the covenant at gmail.com again you can email us your your comments and your questions at science of the covenant at gmail.com if you are watching live you can also put a message or comment in the chat and we will try to get to it uh, live if you know We've been studying with the pastor as he has been talking about Shavio and how to count the Omer. And this is part four of that series. So if you haven't listened to the first three, they are available on YouTube. I suggest you go back and watch those. Also, you can catch our podcast on Spotify podcast, Apple podcast, Google podcast. And several others. We are pretty much on quite a few different podcast platforms. So just look for us, Science of the Covenant or Psychove, uh either one, and you should be able to find us. If not, feel free to email me again at covenant at gmail.com, and I can send you links to the podcast outside of YouTube. So if you're ready, I'm ready. I'm sending it over to the pastor.
1: All right. Thank you, boss. Now, earlier, we we looked at the studies we had mentioned. We wanted to notice two things about Leviticus 23, verses 15 through 16, which we'll be, uh, again, reiterating those verses. Now, the second thing that we want to notice borderlines on what we have already been speaking about, but we want to probe deeper into it. In this second notification, we want to observe more closely what the passage is saying about counting and numbering, and we will call this part of our study the counting clarification. So that's what we want to look at this week, the counting clarification. Let us pray. Our living Father, we thank you again that you have brought us together to be able to discuss your word, and may it be pertinent to us, may it be important. May it be something that we can understand, and not only to understand, but also to put in practice. So we ask that you would bless me, my host, bless each listener, and most of all, bless us collectively, that we may be able to move together knowing that we are walking under your banner and being able to carry out your covenant. Now, bless, keep, guide, and direct each one of us in this particular discourse. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, we want to look at what we uh, call the accounting clarification. We want to get a clarification of the counting. Now, in this part of our study, we will be considering something I think would be most crucial to understand in how to calculate Shavio's. And one of the main things about this feast is about calculating it. Out of all of the annual feasts, this one, dealing with Oath is the only one that isn't given a specific day nor month in which it is to be celebrated. In order to know the day and month in which it is to be celebrated, it has to be calculated. For the mere fact that it has to be calculated, suggests strongly that we have to know how to do so. All of the other annual feasts are given both the month and the day of the month, they should be carried out. Consequently, if that is the case, should not this be the reason enough to consider how we calculate when the day of Shavvy Oath comes about. It should be very clear to us just when Shavvy Oath is. Not only is Shavvy Oath the only one that has to be be counted, but we find it is one which is celebrated on its last day And the only one that we can tabulate that comes in the summertime. So now let us go back to our verses in Leviticus 23. And we want to consider verses 15 and 16. And it reads in verse 15 of the 23rd chapter of Leviticus. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Shabbat, from the day that ye brought the sheave of the wave offering seven Shabbat shall be complete even unto the morrow after the seventh Shabbat shall ye number fifty days and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto Yehoah. So we read here in Leviticus 23 verses 15 through 16 it should become abundantly clear that the feast of Shavuoth is a feast We would definitely have to use our intellect to figure out. Therefore, when Shabby oath is mentioned, we should automatically think in terms of a feast. We would have to do some math. When Shabby oath is introduced to Yah's people, let us notice what it says in Leviticus chapter uh, 23 and verse 15. Here's how he introduces Shavuot. And ye shall count unto you the morrow after the Shabbat. So he even starts with the counting. Ye shall count. He starts with those words. He's letting us know if we're going to tabulate these feasts, this feast, you, you're going to have to do some counting. It appears that at the heart of Shavuot, is to figure out when it is. That is the basis of this feast. You got to figure out when it is. Since it is the counting that is the focus of this feast, let us at this juxtaposition understand what is involved in the counting. Now, those who count seven Shabbats and then, according to the text, they number 50 days, according to this way of seeing it, what one is doing is counting seven Shabbats and interpreting the text to mean that immediately after counting seven Shabbats, ye number 50 days. When this is interpreted this way, we are drawing the conclusion that in verse 15, Is saying, after you have counted seven Shabbat, you shall number 50 days. And there is no more counting after numbering one more day. That's generally the way we look at that. That you count seven Shabbats, and then tomorrow after that, you count 50 days. And a lot of people have rested on the fact that that's that's how you count. Now, when we look at that, it is not exactly correct the way that that has been done. So when it is interpreted this way, we are drawing the conclusion that in verse 16 is saying, after you have counted seven Shabbos, you shall number 50 days and there is no more counting after the numbering one more day. Now, in this way, in this way of calculating, Shavio, we are merely counting seven Shabbats, which is 49 days, and the morrow after the 49 days would make this 50 days. This is incorrect. This is correct if one calculates it this way because 49 days and one day after that would be 50 days, certainly. The calculation is correct, nobody can argue with that, but the interpretation of that way of calculating is in question. The math is correct, but the interpretation is not. Even though the accuracy of this way of calculating Shavuot is accepted by many it still is in error. Such an interpretation as this is why many who keep the feast refer to it as Pentecost rather than Shaviot. See, Pentecost means 50. And to calculate Shaviot this way affirms what they call a 50 day feast, which would be correctly called Pentecost if that were the case. So if I'm looking at the Greek word Pentecost, and it means 50, naturally, I'm basing Shabby oath of the Old Testament by the New Testament. And if the New Testament is saying 50, then I judge it by that. And most people are judging Pentecost by the New Testament rather than judging the length of Shabby oath by the Old Testament. It should be that Pentecost should be compared with Chevy Oath and not Chevy Oath compared to Pentecost. We should not lean upon this way of calculating Chevy Oath in this manner. It is not a correct calculation, nor is it in harmony with our passage. Those who are honest in their quest to keep Chevy Oath will take into consideration that that way of calculation is not as the Bible would have it. So to keep Chevy oath, we will require that we rethink and recalculate it by being true to the literal counting of seven Shabbats and a literal numbering of 50 days. Pentecost only gives us an accounting of only 50 days in totaling, whereas Chevy Oath gives an account of 99 days. Now, when we go back to Leviticus chapter 23, we want to look at verse uh, 15 again. Now, here in this verse it says, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Shabbat, from the day that ye brought the sheave of the wave offering, seven shepherds shall be complete. So, here in this text, it talks about both where to start counting and what to count. Our focus in this part of our study will be with what is it that we are counting. So, that's what we need to look at. What are we counting? What was to be counted in Leviticus chapter 23 verse 15. Well, it's obvious in in verse 15 of the 23rd chapter of Leviticus, the Bible says uh, they were the seven Shabbats That's what it emphasizes that they should be counted in verse 15 that they they were concentrating and focusing upon keeping seven Shabbats Now the counting of the seven Shabbats is the first calculation the counting of seven Shabbats would be 49 days. However in Leviticus chapter 23 verse 16 it says even unto the morrow after the seventh Shabbat ye shall number 50 days. Now here in verse 16 we are told that after counting seven Shabbats, shall you number 50 days. So here in this text, it focuses upon the numbering of 50 days. Now this numbering of the 50 days is a second calculation. The first was this seven Shabbats, the second counting is the 50 days. This numbering of the 50 days Is the second calculation. The numbering of the 50 days would be a literal 50-day count after the counting of the seven literal Sabbaths. Now since in this passage of Scripture verse 15 of the 23rd chapter of Leviticus speaks about counting and verse 16 talks about numbering Let us make a comparative study of these two words to see if they are different or the same in meaning. Now, in the Hebrew, the word for count is sephar, S-A-P-H-A-R, sephar. Now, sephar means to number. That's what it means, to number. So when we talk about sephar, it means to number. Moreover, the Hebrew word for number is also sephar, which is the same word. And it carries very much the same meaning as count, which is to write the cipher or to number. To write in figure or numerals, cipher is is to calculate numerically or to figure. That's what it means to count, to figure, to figure out, to number. So if these words are from the same Hebrew word, sephah, then we can rest assuredly that we can use the words interchangeably without altering the meaning. So even though verse fifteen of the third of the twenty-third chapter of Leviticus says "counting," and verse sixteen of the same chapter says "numbers," we found out that the word "count" and "number" came from the same Hebrew word "sephah," "sephah," which means to the number. They mean the same thing. Now, as we observe our two texts. Let us see what it is that we are counting or numbering. Let's look at that. In verse 15, we are counting seven Shabbats. That's what we are counting, seven Shabbats. And in verse 16, we are numbering 50 days, 50 days. So what is it that we are calculating? We have these two calculations respectively. The former is speaking about counting seven Shabbats and the latter is, speak, is talking about uh, numbering 50 days. Consequently, when we calculate Shaviot, it is the counting of seven Shabbats and the numbering of 50 days. As we see from the way of looking at the two calculations, the first involves the counting of the seven Shabbats and the second involves the numbering of 50 days. So that's what, that's what we are to count. And that was to start to count, which would be the first Sabbath after the offering of the wave offering, which occurred in the week of unleavened bread. So in our introduction to this study, we mentioned that the Feast of Weeks, which is also referred to as Shavuot in Hebrew and Pentecost in Greek. The problem with the name Pentecost is twofold. We will refer to this twofold problem as the double opposition. So we want to look at these, this double opposition that we are dealing with when we look at uh, Pentecost. Now, the first opposition is that the Hebraic word oath carries a time period of weeks, whereas when we use the same, <clears throat> when we use the name Pentecost, which means 50, and carries a time period of 50 days, when we look at the weeks, which makes up oath in comparison With the days that makes up Pentecost, there is a discrepancy in the terminology. When we use the term Pentecost, we limit the time period of Shevioth to only 50 days. However, the Bible nowhere in the Old Testament refers to Shevioth as a 50-day feast. But the New Testament term Pentecost implies that Chevy oath is only for 50 days. This brings us to our second opposition which is our interpretation of the term Pentecost. So let's look at this 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 interpretation. Now the second opposition is that when we read about Chevy oath in the New Testament let us see what they call it. So let us turn to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we want to turn to these chapter, chapter 2. And in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, we want to look at verse number 1. Now the Bible says here, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. So see, they, they're not using the word shaviot they're using Pentecost. Okay. Okay, now let's turn further in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter 20, we want to look at. Now, when we look at the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, and we look at verse number 16, notice what it says. So here it says, For Paul had determined to sell by Ephesus, because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hasted if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost so you see whoever translated the Bible they are not transfer- they're not translating Cheviot they're translating a Greek term Pentecost okay now let us go to our uh, first Corinthians we want to go to the first Corinthians. And in First Corinthians, we want to go to the 16th chapter. And in the 16th chapter, we want to look at verse number eight. Okay, First Corinthians 16, 8 says, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Okay, now you remember the last text that that, that we just read is that they they were uh Paul was dealing with with Pentecost in Acts. Uh, chapter 20, verse six, 16. So apparently these texts have some similarity that goes together. But in, in in these texts, it is pointing out that they were keeping Pentecost. So when Paul says in the 20th chapter, verse 16, for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not. Spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And then in the 16th chapter, in his letter to the 1st Corinthians, he again says, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Okay, so the point that we're trying to emphasize here is that if if in these three texts the word Pentecost is used, it is obvious Luke is referring to a 50-day feast in these three texts simply because Pentecost concerns itself with 50-day, a 50-day period. Moreover, if the Feast of Weeks is interpreted from the aspect of calculating it Pentecost, it can easily be misconstrued as being a period of 50 days. Now, let let us turn to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we want to turn to the 12th chapter uh, to try to validate a point that we're trying to say about the Greek terms that was substituted for the Hebraic terms. Okay, we want to turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, and in the twelfth chapter, one look at verse number four. Uh, so here we read in the in in, in the fourth verse of the twelfth chapter of Acts, and here's how it reads: It said, "And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison." This is talking about the time when they had incarcerated James and and Peter and put them in prison, and delivered him to the four. Quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now, if you notice in that text in the book of Acts, they got another Greek term. (coughs) And that Greek term is what? Easter. Now, we know that Easter at this time in which Peter was put in jail, there was no such a thing as no Easter. Okay, so the translators apparently put Easter in there so, just as in Acts 12, 4, it speaks about Easter, of which we know historically it was not. Now, when we look at verse 3, let's look at verse 3. you the same chapter. In verse 3, it says, And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Okay, so, so in other words they are telling you in the same text that it was not Easter. This was a feast of unleavened bread. That's what it was, the feast of unleavened bread. But yet the Bible writer has the word Easter in there. So just like he put Easter in there, that's very much the same way that they put Pentecost. And Pentecost is put in there in such a way that one would think is 50 days. Just like Easter was put in there and somebody would read that and they would say, oh, that's Easter. But no, it wasn't Easter. They couldn't have fe- two days at one time. It could, it could only be uh, unleavened bread because Easter was not known back then. So what we are looking at is uh, the translators may change a Hebrew word to a Greek word without seeing that in doing so, it actually distorts the true meaning. As a matter of fact, when the term Pentecost is used, it doesn't even take into consideration weeks at all. It is only concerned with days. Yet Elohim says in the Hebrew, it is the Feast of Weeks, not the Feast of Days. Furthermore, Shavuot emphasizes calculating both weeks and days, whereas Pentecost emphasized the keeping of days. So when we look at Pentecost, it emf- its emphasis is on the days. Therefore, based upon this concept of Pentecost, nearly all the world who keeps this feast with 50 days in mind. Moreover, in the book of Acts, many draw the conclusion that after the resurrection of Yeshua, He spent 40 days with his disciples. So let us turn to Acts chapter 1, and we want to look at verse number 3. Okay, Acts chapter 1, and we want to look at verse number 3, Acts 1-3. And here, this is before Yeshua made his ascension to go back to sit on the right hand of the Father. Now here it says in the third verse of the first chapter, of the book of Acts. Here it says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of Elohim. So now what we see in this text is it says he spent forty days with his disciples instructing them concerning the things of the kingdom. Now Those who put Pentecost on the 50th day say that if Yeshua spent 40 days on earth after his resurrection, then there were only 10 more days left for Pentecost. Well, that's logical. That would be logical. Consequently, in Acts 2.1, when it says that the day of Pentecost was fully come, that it was only 50 days, it was only a 50-day feast. However, the question with this type of reasoning is that it is not according to what the scriptures are saying because Yeshua spent because Yeshua spends 40 days on earth after his resurrection and his, and his ascension to his father doesn't mean automatically that there were 10 more days to Shevioth. This 50-day calculation is based upon Yeshua's 40-day stay upon earth prior to his ascension and those who call shevioth pentecost add 10 more days to the 40 to make it 50. Now the problem with this interpretation now the problem with this interpreting shevioth by the Greek word pentecost is where much of the confusion lies. Now, Pentecost means 50, and when we use this word to represent Shevioth, we do not get an accurate account of Shevioth. Pentecost only means, so Pentecost only takes into consideration the counting of 50, and we add those counting of the 50 to the 50 days void of counting the seven complete Sabbaths. We put the seven complete Sabbath and the one day together to make 50 because we say that if he spent 40 days here on earth, there was 10 left. But he never said because he, the scriptures never said because he spent 40 days with his disciples after he left, just before he left, that they had 10 more days. That's that's a human interpretation. That's, that's not the Bible speaking. We are drawing that conclusion. However, our interpretation must not come from what is implied by those who take this uh, approach. See, we can't take it from them and accept a 50-day feast which links itself to the Pentecost rather than to Shavuot. We can't do that. See, that's an interpretation. That's that's not what the scriptures are saying. That's what people have interpreted it to be. Now, our position should be based upon what is actually stated, verified by the Word. So if the Word is not saying it, then we can't say it. But if the Word says it, then we can say it. So it wasn't... It wouldn't be reasonable nor right to take a Greek term which expresses days to supersede the Hebraic term which expresses both weeks and days. Originally, this feast was called the Feast of Weeks. Now it has come to mean the Feast of Days. So how did we get the Feast of Weeks all the way to the Feast of Days? Well, it's obvious because we got Pentecost and it links itself to the days rather than the week. This cannot be in the light of the scriptures. This Pentecostal terminology referring to the Feast of Shavuot has nearly thrown off the entire world of feast keepers to observe this feast, seven Shabbat and one day, to be a 50-day feast. Almost the whole world is doing this. At this juxtaposition, let us go back to Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and see if we can make some sense of a Feast of Weeks from a Feast of Days. So we go back to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 15. It says, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow, after the Shabbat, from the day that ye brought the sheave of the wave offering, Seven Shabbats shall be complete. So we, we have discovered already that our count starts basically with the first day after the Shabbat, which is a part of the unleavened bread feast. So once we get to unleavened bread and we have first fruits, and after we have first fruits within the month, within the feast of unleavened bread, we come to that first Sabbath after the feast of, 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 of first fruits. We come to that first Sabbath. That's when we begin to count the seven Shabbats. In this verse, it is clear that once the count, once once the count starts, the instructions are to first count seven Shabbats completely. So when we count those seven Shabbats completely, then we go to verse 16 and what it says. Verse 16 says in the 23rd chapter, even unto the morrow after the seventh Shabbat shall you number 50 days. So however, when we count two When we count the 50 days after the seven Shabbats, in the same passage, it continues the counting. It didn't say count one more day, it said count 50 days. So let us proceed with the counting. In verse 16, we notice a second counting of which it says to number 50 days. Moreover, we want to point out two things about this second counting. The first thing we want to observe is that there are basically two factors we have to consider about this second counting of 50 days. The first thing we want to notice about this second counting is that it focuses on days, not weeks. That's what the second one focuses on. And we notice and what we notice is that in the in this verse There's a second counting of which in this verse, which speaks about a numbering of 50 days. Now, the first thing that we observe about this second counting is that it specifies days. Let us notice two types of calculation as pertaining to this particular uh, scenario because many people, have picked up that when we do this counting that it's only 50 days. But as we have looked at it, what we notice is that these 50 days is in conjunction with the seven sabbats. So as we look at this, at at, 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 at this, at, at the way that it's talking about it in the... Uh, Sixteenth verse. It is it is actually looking at fifty days. Okay. Now, so when we look at this, uh, the first one is the Pentecostal calculation. Now, the Pentecostal calculation. In the Pentecostal calculation, we are limited to the fifty days only because the word Pentecost means fifty, and that's only logical. Therefore, if Pentecost means 50, then it would only be logical to only making it a 50-day feast only. It appears that in the Pentecostal counting of the second count is combined to the first count of seven Shabbats and then count more days than just one day In other words, the seventh Sabbath, what they did when they incorporate just the term Pentecost, they count seven Sabbath and then one day. And logically that is 50. That's because we're looking at it from a Pentecostal way. Now let us consider the second type of calculation. This second one is the oath calculation. Now, the Chevy oath calculation, in the Chevy oath calculation, we aren't limited to 50 days only because the word Chevy oath means weeks. That's what it means. Therefore, if Chevy oath means weeks, then it would only be logical to make it a feast of more than than, uh, one day only. You can't just say we got seven days, seven weeks, and then one day. But if it actually says 50 days, then we know that beyond the seventh Sabbath, we're gonna be numbering 50 days, not one day. In the Shavio County, the second count of the 50 days is combined to the seven complete Shabbats. In this way of thinking, we think in terms of both weeks, and days to be true to both the counting and true to the counting of the word that is found of the words that is found in the text. Furthermore, even in the numbering of fifty days, we still have seven Sabbath within the fifty days that we are counting. Now, in Leviticus 23, 16 literally said, even unto the morrow, after the seven Shabbats, ye shall number one now. Now now if if Leviticus now this is just a, a hypothetical situation that I'm presenting. If Leviticus 23 reads this way, if it reads and if it says, even unto the morrow after the seventh Shabbat, ye shall number one day. Now, I can understand us coming out with a 50-day Pentecost if the scripture said it. But the Scriptures is not saying even tomorrow after the seventh Shabbat, just you number one day. It is literally saying even after tomorrow, ye shall number 50 days. Would not we have numbered one more day If it did read after seven sabbaths, you should number one more day. Well, if the Bible had said that, that's what we would do and we would have 50. But the Bible doesn't say that. So which is it? So why is it so difficult to add 50 more days? Because this is what the text literally is stating. 50 days, not one more day. So as we have looked at these, these evidences that, that we have, we see it's a feast of 50 days and seven Shabbats. So what are the differences in the calculations in the Pentecost and the Oath? Now the former simply count seven complete sabbaths, equaling 49 days and then add one more day after that, making it literally a 50-day count. However, the latter, which is the Shaviyoth calculation, takes into consideration both the equaling 49 days of the seven complete Shabbats and the 50 days to equal 99 days. Now that we have now that we can properly understand that Chevy Oath embraces a time period of 99 days, let us now give some more polemics of why this is so. Now, in our next study, we will be aligning the Chevy Oath with its harvest and its agricultural season. In this part of our study we will call the Feast of Harvest. So our next study, if Elohim will, we'll be dealing with the feasts as they are related to the harvests or the agriculture of the earth. Our loving Heavenly Father, we have gone through again some distinctions between Pentecost and Shavio. Help us to make the distinctions and get the understanding of really what is being said here so that we can properly know how to calculate shaviyoth in yeshua's name we do ask it and for his dear sake we do pray amen Amen. and amen amen
0: so um so pentecost means 50 and shaviyoth Mm -hmm. means weeks
1: yeah uh the emphasis is on weeks Mm
0: -hmm. now it's interesting because as you was reading uh x2 one um i guess in king james It says Pentecost, but the verse I generally use for the podcast uh, is the Restored Names version. And Mm -hmm. in there, they have Shavuot, and so did the Sefer Bible have also. It said Shavuot as opposed to
1: Pentecost. Right. They correct the error.
0: So now, when those other verses you read in Acts, it was actually talking about Pentecost as opposed to Shavuot, or was that a mistake?
1: That was a mistake also. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That leads the people to bring, when you put Pentecost, that leads the people to believe that, you know, it's actually 50 days. And uh, up until our time, uh, only very few groups that I know really keep it the way that it should be counted. Okay. And uh, you said the word safar. Yes, safar. Safar means to number. Yeah, it means a number or either, you know, to count. They both mean the same thing. Number and count is the same thing. But okay. whoever translated King James, they, they saw fit to put one, the number, and the other to count. Mm. Okay. Yeah, but when you look up the derivative of both the words, uh-huh. they both come to the Hebrew word sephar. Sephar. Mm. Okay. S-A-P-H-A-R.
0: S-A-P-H-A-R.
1: D-H-A-R.
0: All right. And what did you say next week you're going to be uh, going over?
1: Well, we're going to be doing the uh, what we call, sometimes they call, uh, Shavio, in some parts of the Bible, they call it the Feast of Harvest. And so mm-hmm. we want to see what harvest lines up with the Feast of the Pentecost to the further validate what we've been studying here. We'll be dealing with what we call the Feast of harvest okay all right
0: and and with that we will go into our next segment up next is let's talk about that So today, I want to talk about interracial marrying, uh, according to the scriptures in your Bible. And I want to look at two texts that a lot of people uh, pose the argument of, well, three texts that pose the argument of not interracial marriage. So, if you have your Bibles, we want to look at Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter. Verses three and four and then we're going to look at the second Corinthians chapter ch- second Corinthians chapter six verse fourteen. All right, and I'll put it on the screen for you. And Deuteronomy seven three reads Neither shalt thou make marriages with them thy daughter. Thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shall I take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other Elohim. So will the anger of Yahuwah be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. And another one that they use, people use uh, in justifying marrying people is 2nd Corinthians 614 which reads be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath with darkness so with that pastor i want to ask um it seems that the israelites were not to marry outside of israel Mm -hmm. But then when we Mm -hmm. look at Corinthians, it says uh, not to be unequally yoked. And I know a lot Mm. of people use the unequally yoked in regards to marriage. But as I was reading that, it really didn't say anything about marriage. It says you shouldn't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And that could be a group of people to me, then specifically just in a marriage and all. So with that being said, for one, are we still to this day are not to marry outside or are we so mixed up? Does it even matter anymore?
1: It seems like your question is kind of twofold. You know, one one is you, it appears that you're dealing with marriage and the other is that we're dealing with unequally yoked, be it marriage or not, that we shouldn't be so how did you want if uh, I'm interpreting right? Yes, yes. Okay. okay. Because
0: I, a lot of people interpret uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14 as being unequally yoked. I've, most people that state that is in reference to marriage. But as I read it, I'm like, okay, this sounds like it's not just pertaining to marriage.
1: Yeah, well, you're you right on that. It's, it's not just talking about marriage, you know. hmm yeah it could be other relationships and other uh, other practices mm-hmm. uh, that one may be engaged in, because if you read the context of it, it says, uh, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Mm-hmm. so that 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 isn't saying anything about marriage. that is talking about uh, how you are being associated with people who do not believe mm-hmm. which they they ain't talking about you got to be married they just saying uh Paul is saying here is you shouldn't be unequally yoked with unbelievers yeah okay and then he goes on to draw the an analogy for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness in other words he is saying for the person who is a believer to yoke with an unbeliever The believer is trying to practice righteousness, Mm -hmm. but the unbeliever is unrighteousness. So if you try to yoke a believer with an unbeliever, then you're really trying to yoke righteousness with unrighteousness. Mm. And that's what's going on today uh, with the alphabetical community. You know, Mm -hmm. they want to be a part of the church and they want to be able to embrace, you know, what we call the Christian community. But Paul is saying you can't take unrighteousness and put it with righteousness, nor can you take a believer and put it with an unbeliever. So he's talking about a, a, a whole gamut of stuff that is not directly talk about marriage. Now, marriage could be one of them, but mm-hmm. it's not the only thing. OK.
0: Now, um, as should Israel these days still stay? within marrying other Israelites or should it be more of a situation you will be equally yoked. Maybe if someone maybe not of Israel, but they believe in keeping the covenant, they believe in keeping the feast days, and maybe to the extent more than a so-called Israelite is doing, in all, because I've seen, you know, some Israelites say they're Israelites, but their lifestyle, in my opinion, doesn't
1: show it. Well, you wouldn't want to base a relationship upon what you see in others who are just because they profess something and not doing it. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't. You wouldn't want to base your uh, relationship on that. Even Yeshua said, you know, do what they say. Do, but don't do as they do because a lot of times people can tell you the truth, but they yeah. not practicing it So you don't want to form a habit saying that the reason why you do something don't do it is because The people that's supposed to be doing it's not doing it You want to do it because the word says it not because they are they they aren't doing it mm-hmm. so so the main thing for me would be is that if one has a relationship even today I would think that the principles back then would hold with the principles of today.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, it's true that when you look at the Scriptures, you see Rahab, she recognized the supreme Elohim of the heaven and earth, and so she joined with Joshua and them on the true Elohim, even though she was not at first a believer in that, but she became a believer in that. Mm -hmm. And we look at Ruth, who was a Moabite, she didn't basically believe in the true Elohim, but as she walked with Naomi, Naomi taught her about it and she embraced it, even though she was not a Jew, but what I'm saying, when she began to embrace the promises and embrace the covenant, mm-hmm. she became what Elohim wanted. Because if you read Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy said one of the main reasons why he did not want them to have wives and stuff from other nations is because they had turned their hearts after other Elohims. Yeah. And that's what happened to Solomon. He got so many wives and stuff that they turned his heart after the false Elohim's. But mm-hmm. Ruth didn't turn after the go back to her like offer her sister, or her you know who had came from Moab. Mm-hmm. She didn't. She didn't go. She didn't uh, uh, go back to her old gods or Elohim. She didn't go back to that. She continued with the true. Mm. So the, the question is. You know, if you're going to unite yourself with uh, an unbeliever, even though that unbeliever may change, mm-hmm. then the question would be: Does she change first, or does she change second? Do you marry her first, and she change or do you wait until she changed and then marry her? Mm-hmm. I think that's be that would be the question with the person who may be what we call unequally yoked or marrying. In another nation, mm-hmm. how how do they measure it? Do they marry the relationship above their relationship with Elohim, or do they marry the Elohim's first and then their relationship with the opposite sect, the second? And then, if regardless of which way you go, would the person profess first that they are serving the true Elohim, or would they get married first and then profess the true Elohim? Some people have done done it both ways. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it worked out, sometimes it doesn't. But that's that's one have to take in, in, into consideration. But I would think that the principle back then is the same principle today, is that you want to get someone that is in harmony with what your wishes are, and if a person chooses to go against those things, I don't think Elohim would. Strike him down, mm-hmm. but if you're going against things that he have already stated, and then it doesn't turn out the way that you thought it was, then you can you couldn't lay the blame on him. You have to lay the blame on the decision that you made because yeah. he he told you his stand on it.
0: So even though someone is 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 the same part of the same Israel, uh, even though they may not be adhering, it would be better still to probably marry them than
1: someone from outside. Well, I guess, you, you know, each individ- you got to take each case on its individual thing. You know, it all depends on, the, you know, on the situation, you know, I can't speak for another person you know, I can only speak on my behalf of how my relationship would be. And if I were in that situation, the things that I would need to measure, you know, just to kind of put in place, I can't say that you just dogmatically had to do it this way. I don't know if it's a certain formula. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying, Elohim is telling you that there are certain relationships that it would be best for you not to enter. into And he stating the reason for that. And so one would have to take that under consideration that if they're going to move forward in a relationship with a person, does do they quit Elohim's uh, qualifications? Now, if they fit his qualifications, I would assume very strongly that you can take the same passage and sit down with them and, and ask them how do they see that passage mm-hmm. and get some understanding from there to be able to get a thermometer as to whether this is something that you feel is gonna uh measure out mm-hmm. or would it end in a cold relationship that you wish you had and never got into it you know so i think it's some measure measuring there
0: okay uh we have a question that was emailed in and it reads how could david be a man after Yah's own heart and have many wives the seventh commandment, was in effect at that time?
1: Uh, Well, in many ways, he could have been a man after Elohim's own heart. Uh, And I think one of the things that we look at is that many people, when they look at David, you know, he was the king of Israel, and and by being the king of Israel, he was... uh, carrying out the will of Elohim because you remember uh, the kings they knew Elohim's law uh, like the people okay so the thing is that I think what happened when David made the mistake with uh Uriah's wife he did something that should not have been done and the way that he becomes a man after Elohim's heart It's not because of the adulterous practices but we must remember that elohims give mercy and grace to sinners even we we have made mistakes and he give us mercy and grace Mm -hmm. and because we made mistakes and did things does that mean we cannot be after his own heart no it doesn't mean that it just means we made a mistake now i think in david's situation which he was a leader he was a king he was one that had power he was the one that Elohim has selected to be the second king of Israel. Okay. But if you look at Psalms uh chapter 51, okay, now when you look at Psalm chapter 51, uh what a lot of people don't look at, they look at his mistakes, but they don't look at uh his repentance. See, now I, I think that's that, that's that's where we come short. We look at a person's mistakes, what they did, but the re- not the repentance of what they performed afterwards. And he said, have mercy upon me, O Elohim, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies black out my transgressions. Isn't that what Elohim tells us? Isn't, wasn't that what the sacrificial system was all about? You sin, you go to the priest, you kill the animal and you get atonement for it. Mm-hmm. And when Yeshua came, did not he die for our sins? And when he died, he took our sins. And if we are sincere, and we want to still be after his heart, even though we make a mistake, he gives us that grace and that mercy, and that empowers us to start keeping and doing what he said do. But David never did that again. He did that once, but he didn't do it anymore. And so he made a mistake, but if people could look at more of his repentance and and, and the humiliation that he, he had to go through and all of that, they could see it. He's really a man after Elohim's own heart because he didn't even allow sin to get in his way. He, 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 he just continued to press on and ask Elohim for forgiveness of what he he did. Uh-huh. And then when you look at the last verse, if you look at the last verse of Psalms 51, it says, then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, you see, with burnt offering and a whole burnt offering then shall thy bullocks upon thine altars. In other words, he's saying now when I make a sacrifice it's not for sin, but for righteousness now. So in other words, he repented, he prostrated himself, he did what was needed in order to get back reconciliation. So if we look at the total picture, not just as what he did, but how he pleaded with Elohim, that Elohim could say, all right, yes, David, you did make a mistake but I see the repentance of your heart. I can still accept you because if you're a man after my own heart, you didn't even allow your sin. When you found out that you had sin, you was willing to try to atone for it. And when you atone, when you did what was needed to atone for it, then I can see that you are still after my own heart. All right.
0: If you have any questions, uh, you know, outside of uh, the live podcast. So during, you know, we encourage you to send us an email at com. Well, with that, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready
1: to close out this podcast for this week? Okay. I love it for As we continue to calculate our shabby oaths, give us some wisdom and knowledge to know how, not only to keep it, but know how to calculate it so when it comes around year after year that we can know our certainty that we can be in harmony with your wishes rather than the traditions and the interpretations of those who are keeping it now and those who may keep it in the future in an erroneous way that we can know that our calculation is according to the word of the scripture. So bless each one of us. Bless me, my host. Bless each listener. Bless our families our loved ones. Give us a Sabbath day's blessing. And as we anticipate another week, if it be your will, that you can bring us back together again next week that we can talk about shabby as it relates to the harvest of the seasons of the year to be able to validate exactly when shabby oath is now until that time we ask that you would guard protect and guide us in the way that we should go give us the blessing that we stand in need and most of all oh heaven father give us the salvation oh heaven father that is needed in each one of our lives that we can know of a certainty that we are walking and doing the things that you would have us to do And not dabbling in sin, but to dabble in righteousness to know that we're looking to be in your kingdom. And one day, oh, Heavenly Father, when it's all transpired, we'll be in an eternal kingdom with an eternal life to last for an eternity. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. 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 We want to
0: remind you, we don't charge anything for this ministry at all we don't ask you for a dime other ministries on youtube had a little stuff on the bottom asking for money we're not asking for money all we ask if you could do two things if you're not subscribed please hit the subscription button and before you go give us a like give us the thumbs up to like the our videos it is much appreciated we're not asking for anything. All we asking for just hit a, two buttons, subscribe. And if you already subscribe, hit the thumbs up button, button to like our podcast. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant.com. All the paths of Yahuwah are mercy and truth unto such as to keep his covenants and his testimonies. Psalms 2510. Until next week. Shallow